Uh, just this past week, uh, my son Lincoln, Lincoln was watching a Minecraft video, and I know that for some of you, I just slipped into another language. You have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, but for kids Lincoln's age, Minecraft is this video game that is incredibly popular, and it's a game where you get to build worlds. You can build whatever your imagination uh, can, can picture. And so they, they have videos. Kids will post videos of the things that they're creating so they can get ideas from one another. And Lincoln was watching this video of something this guy had built, and someone had built a building in Minecraft that looked like a church. And so this group of people, they were in this building that looked like a church. And then the guy made a remark. He said, now I need all of you to give me 10% of your income. And there was a laugh. And the reason for that is because the world's idea about this subject that we're going to talk about today, giving and tithing, is that the church is all about money. That we always are trying to get something from people. And there's a good reason that the world has that perception. Because sadly, some of the most public, quote, pastors and some of the most prominent, quote, ministries on television and mass media are groups that are, that are exactly about that. And they'll say things on television, like if you'll send in this amount of money, then God is going to bless you with X, Y, and or Z. And so for that reason, the outside perception is that tithing and giving to the church, that it's, it's from a place of greed and selfishness. And so if you've been here, if you've attended Faith Church, hopefully you know that that's not our heartbeat, that's not our, our desire. In fact, this passage, Malachi chapter 3, is like the passage on tithing. And in my 17 years that I've pastored here, this is the second time I preached on it. The last time was in 2009. I don't think any of you were here, all right? And, and I didn't just run that message back. I could have, because nobody here was, uh, was here in 2009. But it's, it's not something that we talk about on a regular basis. And if you're a guest today, uh, which always seems to happen, that somebody shows up for the first time when the pastor's going to talk about giving, hear from your friend or your family that invited you that that's not what we're about. That's not what every Sunday is about. But it is something that Jesus talked about a lot. And so we feel it's very important. But I want it to be so very clear that today's message and our heartbeat is not about bringing money in, but it's about pushing the mission out. We're not all about money at Faith Church, but we are all about the mission that God has us on. And if you're new and it just happens to be the first message you've heard me preach or among the first that you've heard me preach, know that my heart is not to bring money in, but rather to push the mission outward. Tithing is not about money. It's about the heart of the mission, the mission that God has called us on. And I think that in this passage of Scripture that we're going to look at today, you'll see that and you'll appreciate it. Now, to really grab a hold of it, you need to know some of the background of this book of the Bible, the book of Malachi, which is the very last book in the Old Testament, right before the New Testament starts. It comes through the messenger Malachi, God's prophet. It comes about 100 years after God's people had returned back to Israel from exile. Now, just a quick history lesson. God rescued the Jews from Egypt where they were slaves. He led them through the promised land and he led them to the promised land and established them as a nation. But then because they were not faithful to him, they did not keep their promises to him, they experienced captivity where other nations came and overcame them and carried them away into captivity or exile. 
but God did not forgive them, forget about them. And in His grace, He allows them to return. He works it out so that the people who took capture of them, the people who have them in bondage, allow them to come home, and often they were the ones that God used to fund the rebuilding of their nation. And a hundred years after this, after the, the wall has been rebuilt, if you read Nehemiah, you're familiar with that story, and the temple has been reconstructed. This, these are the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. Malachi shows up, and once again, even though they've been rescued from Egypt, they've been given a promised land, they've lost that to captivity, and they've come back once again, God's people are being unfaithful. And each one of these, these messages that Malachi delivers to the people, it goes a little bit like an argument that you might have with your spouse, right? If you're married, you've had an argument with your spouse. I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand if you've had an argument with your spouse, because if you're married, you've had an argument with your spouse. And the way an argument with your spouse is you say something, and your spouse goes, when? Right? And then you give like 19 examples from the past week, right? When have I ever done anything like that? And they say, well, yesterday and then the day before, right? And what happens here is Malachi delivers them a message from God. He gives them an accusation, and they always respond with, how? How have we done that? When has that happened? And a good example of this is in the very first chapter and into the second chapter. Malachi says, you have defiled the temple. And you have dishonored God. And the people of Israel say, how have we done that? And he says, the way you have done that is that you have brought to me unworthy sacrifices. Now, the way that they worshipped was different from the way that you and I worship. Today, you and I, we have gathered here. Pastor Eric has opened up the service with scripture reading and a challenge. We have responded through worshiping in song and in giving. Now you are worshiping with your attention by listening to me read scripture and explain it. When they would gather for worship, they would bring an animal with them that would be sacrificed. And that animal would be a representation of the atonement needed for their sins. You and I, we, we celebrate this by thinking of Jesus and his sacrifice for us upon the cross, the once and for all sacrifice. For them, they looked forward to that day when Jesus would offer the once and for all sacrifice by offering these animals as a sacrifice. And when they offered these animals as a sacrifice, they would place it upon the altar and they would place their hand upon the head of that animal to signify the movement of their sins unto the account of that animal that's going to take the punishment for them. And because it's so rich in meaning and important, God told them to bring their very best lamb, to bring their very best ox, to bring the very best that they had. Not that it needed to be better than anyone else's in their village or in their community, but the very best that they had. And what Malachi says to them is, when you come to the temple, you bring your worst. You bring the animals that are lame and are blind and are sickly because you know that you can't get much money for them at the marketplace. Instead of giving God your best, you are giving God your leftovers. And what Malachi shows them is that while they were participating in this ritual, they were doing so in a way that cost them almost nothing. They were doing so in a way that they could justify to themselves that they had given the gift but in a way that it didn't, it didn't create any sacrifice for them. 
When I was in high school, I went to a Christian school, and Christian schools back then didn't have proms. We didn't dance. So ours was called a junior-senior banquet. And we would get dressed up, and we'd go to a fancy meal. And so when I was a junior in high school, I was already dating my wife, Nicole, and so we were going to go to the junior-senior banquet together with a few of our friends. And like some students do now when they go to prom, if they don't have a very nice car, I did not have a very nice car, they would rent a limousine to go. Now, my dad worked at the airport, and he knew a guy who owned a limousine company, and my dad had mentioned this to the guy, and the guy said, oh, Rick, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hook your son up. I'm, I'm going to have a limousine. I just need you to take care of the driver to make sure that he's paid and he gets a tip, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set you up with an incredible limousine. And so I'm excited. Nicole's excited. Our friends are excited. And then the limousine shows up. And I get in the limousine, and my dad's looking at it, and it's a little rough. And we get in, and the floor could use a vacuum. And my dad's filling the vents, and he's going, hey, you got the AC on back here? He's like, yeah, it just, it just hasn't cooled down yet, you know? I'm not feeling great about this limousine. But at this point, we've told everybody we're picking up in the limousine. <laughs> we, we, the banquet is happening in an hour. We've got to get a move on. So we make our trip, and we get everyone picked up. And then we are making our way to the banquet, and the thing just dies. <laughs> it overheats, steam comes out of it. It's, it's rush hour traffic in Virginia Beach, Virginia, which may not mean a whole lot to you, but there are cars everywhere, and we are blocking a main thoroughfare trying to get on the interstate. We have all gotten out. We're in tuxedos and gowns, and people are honking at us and making mean gestures at us. They are so unhappy that we are blocking the way, and I'm just like, I can't believe this. Thankfully, some people that we knew saw us, happened to be driving their conversion van and said, hop in. And we all hopped in and went to the banquet and left the limousine driver behind. I have no idea whatever happened to him into that limo. Now here was a gift that this guy was giving to my dad, and we thought, man, he was doing this because he appreciates my dad and the relationship. But then when we received the gift, it was like, I almost wish you hadn't done it. No limousine is better than a limousine that breaks down. <laughs> and what God is saying to them in the book of Malachi is, the gifts you're giving, I almost wish you didn't give them. Because no gift would be better than a gift that shows me that you don't really take this seriously. And so that's early on in the book. And then in chapter 3, where our passage of Scripture is, Malachi says to them, he says, listen, you've been unfaithful, but know this. I still want to have a relationship with you. Look at verse 6. I am the Lord. I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob, which is another way of saying Israel. God made a covenant with these people, and while they had changed and been unfaithful, God had remained faithful. They had gone back on their promises, but God had not. He continued to provide them with protection, and though they experienced hardship and adversity and, adversity and chastening because He wanted to draw them back to Himself, He was still willing to be their God and to be their Father. Look at what He says in verse 7. Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances or my commands or my laws and have not kept to me, kept them. Return to me, 
and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. You know, you know what he's saying? He's saying, I am the father with outstretched arms. I am the father of the prodigal that welcomes you to come running back to the father. I have not changed. You have been unfaithful to me. You have taken me for granted, but I still love you. Return to me, and I will embrace you. But this interaction follows the others in the book of Malachi that give and take that argument because the remainder of verse 7 says, but you say, in what way shall we return? In other words, why, God, do we need to return to you? We never left. We haven't left. We're right here. This passage has been laying out the ways that the people have failed to keep their part of the covenant with God, how they've made their promises and not kept them, how they've agreed to terms but then rejected them. And now they're saying, in what ways do we need to return? You see, God has remained faithful even when they weren't faithful. God is willing to welcome them. And God says, the reason you haven't been consumed, the reason I haven't wiped you off the face of the earth is because I do not change and I am still the gracious and loving God that I have always been. And so before we get to verse 8, what we see in verses 6 and 7 is that the heart of God is for us. That He wants something for us. That like a loving Father, He opens His arms to us. He wants to bless us. But the people say, in what ways have we turned away from you? In what ways have we rejected you? So God says, well, let me, let me point it out to you. Verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. Therefore you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. The people say, God, how have we failed you? God says, you've robbed me. And they say, God, have we robbed you? And God says, you've robbed me in tithes and offerings. Two points on this real quick. You can't steal from God. You can only rob Him. I was reminded uh, this week, it's been some, some years ago, but Nicole came home one day and she was walking in the side door of our house and there near the side door of the house is the dryer exhaust vent. It's where all of the hot air that gets away out, that is expelled from the dryer goes out and so oftentimes, you know, you need to clean that out because it's got lint in it or whatever. But there hanging out of that dryer exhaust vent was a dollar bill. I had left it in my pocket and it had gone where all of the socks go. It had gone down that tube and was just hanging out of the vent. Now, if you had showed up at my house that day, you could have taken that dollar and I would have had no idea because I had completely forgotten about it. It was like money that you find in your coat when you put it back on in the fall, right? You've completely forgotten about it. If it disappeared forever, you wouldn't even know that it was gone. And if you were to do that, you would be stealing from me. You'd be taking something from me and I don't even know about it, or I don't know about it for a very long time. Stealing is taking something when it's not known. Robbery, on the other hand, is to hold me at gunpoint and force me to take out my wallet and hand you the money. 
I know you're stealing from me. You know you're stealing from me. It's robbery because it's evident. It's out in the open. It's blatant. I don't know how much money you have, and I don't know how much money you make, but God knows everything about you. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows what you had for breakfast eight days ago. He knows everything about you. He knows how much money is in your next check. And when you refuse to give him a portion of what he has blessed you with, it's not that he is unaware. He knows. And for these Israelite people, he knew what their crops would produce. He knew what their income would be from that harvest. He knew how they would do that harvest. It was clear. You might be able to keep it a secret from me or from whoever that you don't give or that you don't give a portion of what God has given you. You might even be able to fool yourself as clearly the Israelites had managed to fool themselves into thinking that they had given. You might be able to convince yourself that you're being faithful and generous, but God knows. You can't steal from Him. You can only rob so first of all, you can't steal from God. You can only rob Him. And second of all, what is a tithe? A tithe very simply means a tenth. One-tenth. The fraction, one over ten. What God set up for the support of the temple in the Old Testament was the tithe, which made it possible for everyone to give an equal proportion, even if they couldn't give the same amount. Throughout the Old Testament practices, there had been considerations for people who didn't have a whole lot of money. God wanted to make it possible for people who didn't have a whole lot of material, worldly possessions to still be able to worship Him. So even if you came to the temple to worship and you didn't have your own lamb because you didn't own one, you could purchase something small like a bird. If you didn't have an oxen, there were considerations for you that you could give a turtle dove. God wanted his house to be a place for all people. And so the temple was not to be supported just by the rich who gave this certain amount, but rather it was going to be supported by everyone giving a proportion of their income. So that even though we can't give the same amount, we can all give the same portion. And we can all be equally invested. The people were there to give of what they had. And that's the reason that when they gave of their lambs or their turtle doves or whatever it might be, it was to be their best, not the best of someone else. The people didn't bring their lambs to the temple to get a blue ribbon like the state fair. They just needed to bring their best. And I hope that that gives you encouragement because this morning, when you come before God and worship Him, He doesn't expect you to worship Him as good as the person in the pew next to you. He doesn't say, hey, listen, if you want to worship me, you're going to have to sing as good as Dawn can. Right? You're going to have to sing as good as the worship team does. Hey, if you're going to worship me, you've got to sing at least better than Pastor Daniel does. No, he says, give your best. And when we worship God in our giving, God doesn't say, hey, listen, if you want to worship me, you need to give at least this amount. No, he says, just give a portion of what you've been given a measure of what you have been blessed with. 
So that meant that through the tithe, everyone could give an equal share. For the man who made $100 that month, he could give $10. For the woman who made $500, she could give $50. For the established royal family who brought in $3 million that year, they could give $300,000 and everyone gave the same proportion. But let me, let me make a practical point on this. It's easier to tithe to give 10% when the amounts are small. Because just then, when I said 300000 as a tenth of $3 million, some of you tightened up. Because $300,000 is a lot of money, even if you did bring in $3 million, right? When I was a boy, I, uh, I would mow my grandmother's grass every week. And for mowing her yard, she would pay me $10. And actually, now looking back on it, based on how long it took me, it was illegal because it was less than minimum wage at the time. <laughs> but I was 10 years old. And for a 10-year-old, a $10 bill, at least back then, was a, was a big deal. But I went to church and I, I learned about tithing. And my parents talked to me about tithing. And so I asked my grandmother to stop paying me in a $10 bill, but to instead pay me in a five and five ones. Because my 10-year-old self knew that a tenth of $10 was $1. You know, it, it's not too hard to give a, a dollar bill in the offering plate. We know, because that's what most of us give, right? We put a dollar in. Even when we're not planning to give, if something prompts us, I need to give something, I can pull out a dollar. In fact, one time a politician asked a pastor, hey, what, what can the government do that will really help churches? He said, stop printing $1 bills. <laughs> People have to give us something more than a dollar bill in the offering plate. It's easier to give when it's 10% of $10 but because that's what my family trained me to do, that's what I did when I was a young boy, and that continued when I got my first job at Chick-fil-A, making $5.15 an hour. And the job after that, that was $7 an hour. The job after that, that was $8.50 an hour. And then I go to Bible college, and I, I spend my days preparing and training for ministry, and then I go into ministry, and constantly before me is this mission of the church and the needs that are all around us and the difference we want to make in the world. So I was blessed to grow up starting small and taking baby steps, and also to be up close and personal with the mission. And it might be that you're here today and the idea of tithing because your 10% is much more than a dollar is scary to you. I, wanna, I, want, I want you to know I recognize the advantage I have of starting off so young. So I want to help you. So let me help you in two ways. First, let me drive home for you that tithing isn't about the money. It's about the heart of the mission. Look at verse 10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. 
This is a reference back to Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 28 and 29. It says, this is the original command, you shall bring the tithe out of your produce of that year and store it up within your gates. And the Levite, because he has no portion nor inheritance with you and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are within your gates may come and eat and be satisfied that the Lord your God may bless you in all of the work of your hands which you do. Remember that history lesson I gave you that the Jews were rescued from Egypt, they make their way through the desert, and God gives them the promised land. When God gives them the promised land, He divides that land up among all of the people. He divides it up among all of the tribes. But the Levites, who are God's chosen people to be the priests and to conduct the work of the temple, they are not given that inheritance. They're not given their own place. Because their place is in the temple. And God sets it up that the people, as they worked the land that they did not own, and they worked vines that they did not plant, they worked farms that they did not build and live in homes that they did not build, that God has given to them, that they will give a portion of that every year so that the temple can go forward, and the Levites, who have been commissioned to, to work in the temple, that they will have their needs met. And what happens every time God's people failed to do this, the Levites would have nothing. In fact, if you read the end of Nehemiah, Nehemiah rebuilds the wall of Jerusalem. He establishes the temple and he puts the practices back into place. He leaves for a while, he comes back, and the temple is in disrepair again. And he goes, what's going on? And, And so he first plans to hold the Levites accountable Because they're in charge, and they should be overseeing this. But then he goes, and he finds out the Levites aren't here because nobody gave them a tithe. They had nothing to eat, so they went out into fields to work so that they could feed their families, so that they wouldn't starve. You see, God has set it up so that the people could support the work of the temple. And when the people failed to do this, The temple practices fell by the wayside, fell into disrepair. The tithe made it possible for the Levites to do the work of ministry, and that passage tells us, so that the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your gates may come and eat and be satisfied. The tithe not only made it possible for the Levites to do the work of ministry, it made it possible so that whenever there was a foreigner or a stranger, a refugee, someone in desperate need, a widow or an orphan, there would be something to meet that need, that the temple could come alongside and meet that need. Today, our our government has social safety nets for people in these situations because the church cannot be counted on to do these things. But God's intention was not for the government to do these things, but for the church to meet these needs. The tithe was so that the church could not only be a place that gave everyone the opportunity to come remember the sacrifice that God had made for them and freed them from their slavery, but also so that anyone else in need would have that need met. And so it would be a testimony to the nations. 
Verse 12 in Malachi chapter 3 points out that this is something that will be a testimony to the nations. You will be blessed and the nations will know. When Jesus arrives at the temple, he says, my house is to be a house of prayer for all people. God wanted his church, his temple, to be conducted in such a way that it was a powerful witness to all the nations. The tithe was support the work of the ministry and the needy and also be this evangelistic witness to the world. That's what it was about. Even back in Deuteronomy, it wasn't about everyone giving a certain amount of money. It was about the heart of the mission. And when God's people give in the way that God has called them to give, it makes it so that everyone is involved. Everyone gets to be a part of what it is that God is doing. Not just the Levites, not just the priests, not just the pastors, not just the missionaries, but all of us are pulling together in the same direction to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. Our passage in Malachi is similar to the passage in Deuteronomy in another way. Because the end of verse 29 in Deuteronomy says that the Lord will bless you and bless the work of your hands. The passage in Malachi says, at the end of verse 10 and into 11, Try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour you out a rich, such a blessing that there will not be enough room to receive it. In both places, God says, if you'll do this, I will bless you abundantly. And this is where the prosperity gospel preacher loves to swoop in and say, listen, if you'll tithe, God's going to give you that Mercedes Benz that you want or that boat, or you're going to receive some huge financial blessing. That is not what God says here. What God says here is that I will bless the work of your hands, and I will bless you and that you get to be a part of this kingdom movement, and I will bless you and that you are a part of what is happening in the temple, and I will bless you and that your heart is engaged with mine. You see, the tithe is not about the amount of money that's given. It's about the heart of the mission of God. And when we give faithfully, we're giving to the heart of the mission. And we should give not because we're hoping God is going to pour more money back upon us, but rather we should give because our heart is for what His heart is for. That we're passionate about what He's passionate about. Just recently I read, I read what Leslie Newbegin said. He said the de deepest motive for mission is simply the desire to be with Jesus where He is, on the frontier between the reign of God and the dominion of the devil. Why should we give? We should give because we are giving to the kingdom and its advancement and pushing back on the kingdom of the devil. And I want to be right there on those front lines. I want to be right there on that frontier, pioneering, pushing back the darkness in Chandler, in our community. And I not only want to do that with my, with my words and with my time, but also with my means. And when we give in that way, we are near to the heart of God. I told you I want to help you in, in two ways. First, I want to drive home for you that tithing is not about money. It's about the heart of the mission and the very heart of God. And second, I want to, I want to, I want to help you try God 
it is astounding to me that after God has said these things to the people through Malachi, these people who have brought him lame sheep, that they have gone back on their promises and back on their words, instead of God coming to them and saying, listen, you better give or I'm going to wipe you out. You better give or you're going to lose everything you have. What he says, he says, just try me. Just try me. Give and see how I am going to bless you. Give and see how I am going to pour out the, the manifold blessings of heaven, so much so that you can't contain it. Try me. Put me to the test. You know what God gives us here? He gives us a guarantee that if we give, we will not regret it. That if we give, we will not feel like we made a wrong choice. I want to show you this morning just how for you I am, that I don't want something from you, but I want something for you. And it might be that you struggle with the idea of tithing for either the reasons of greed or fear. And if you're struggling with the idea of tithing because of greed, the only thing that can drive that out is the gospel. For you to come to the realization that God has given you way more than you could ever give him. That you will always be on the winning side of a relationship with God. I can't help you with that greed part. The gospel can help you with that part. I can help you with the fear part. You know what's happened over the past month? Over the past month, as we've been talking about money, which sometimes can be uncomfortable, people have caught me in the foyer or out the front door, multiple of you, and have told me, you have testified to me personally, Pastor Daniel, there came a point when I realized that I should be tithing, and I said, I can't afford it. There's just no way I can afford it. But I stepped out on faith. And I tell you now, I can't afford not to tithe. Or God brought such great blessings in my life, I would never go without tithing now. There are people here in the congregation, in your midst, that that has been their experience, and I want that to be your experience as well. But I know that you might be in this position where you are afraid that you will not be able to take that step. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to encourage you to take full advantage of God's guarantee. On the way out today, you're going to receive a piece of paper. Everyone. And on it, it's, it's God's guarantee in Malachi chapter 3, and then there are conditions. The conditions being if you will commit to tithe, to give the first 10% of your income for the next 90 days. If you do that, and you feel like that was a mistake, or you find yourself in some financial crisis, or you regret it, we will give you every bit of your money back. That is our guarantee. And this is not some fundraising gimmick. We don't have some building we're trying to buy or some plot of land. We're not trying to get a new church van or anything like that. I'm not, I'm not doing this because I want something from you. I'm doing this because I want something for you. Now, a couple caveats. You give over the next 90 days. You have to give in a way that's tracked. You can't come to me in 90 days and say, Pastor Dan, I gave the church a million dollars in cash and I need it back. Because <laughs> we're going to know that didn't happen, all right? But you give, over the next 90 days, you, you give, and you find yourself in a bind, we will give it right back to you, no questions asked. That is my guarantee to you. 
And so on your way out today, you're going to receive this piece of paper for you to take home and you to consider and you talk it over with your spouse or you pray over it. And I want you to bring back the bottom portion next week and fold it up and put it in the offering plate. And you're here and you say, well, we already tithe. Great, I want you to fill this out too. There's a place where you can check. I already tithe. But I want you to participate because I want you to, over the next 90 days to give intentionally and think about how God is blessing you as a result. I want you to go ahead and participate so you can encourage those other members here in our congregation. This is not a gimmick. I'm not trying to raise some funds. It's not a scheme. I'm not promising that you'll receive more money back or cars. Here's what I want for you. I want you to tithe so that you can be participating in the mission near to the heart of God. That's what I want for you. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.